welcome to the podcast of Calvary Baptist Church of Taylorville, Illinois. I hope this podcast stirs your desire for the things of God, and we hope that your faith in Christ will grow like never before. Now let's get into the podcast. Amen. Howdy, folks. How are we doing this morning? Um, so I, I was in the back earlier with Gabby and... Uh, and some others, and I heard some propaganda about Cubs and Cub fans, and what what was that about, Brian? We'll talk about it later. Um, I don't know. We need to pray for Brian. Uh, uh, we need to pray for one another. Amen. Um, so, hey, I'm I'm really glad that you're here. If you're whether you're here in the room, tuned in. Uh, online or wherever it is that you find us, whether through podcast, I'm grateful that you are here tuning in. And my hope and my desire for you is that even before I got up and spoke, that God would be speaking to you. So the Word of God is rich and it's true, and God speaks through. He, he can also speak through the Word. He can speak through a hug. He can speak through a word uh, that is said one to the other, and He can speak through songs that we sing. So uh, I just want you to know that everything that we do here is is, is hopefully leading you closer to know Jesus Christ in a personal way. Um, so if you're here for the first time or uh, maybe just haven't been here in a while, we're actually in, in the beginning parts of a series where we've been looking at this letter in the New Testament. And the letter happens to be uh, called Ephesians. And it's a letter to the church in a place called Ephesus from uh, a long time ago. And there was a guy by the name of Paul who wrote this letter to these people And over and over and over at the beginning of this letter, he's reminding them of their identity. And so they are a mishmash of people. They're coming together. Some of those folks were Jewish. Some of those folks were not Jewish. And all of them were coming together with their own biases and their own prejudices and, and everything else from their past. And now they're being brought together. And he uses word after word after word to try and show them that they're actually together. We'll see that also in this passage, and what we're going to see specifically is I think, and I believe, and my my prayer has been for you in receiving this message, that you would start seeing yourself in the way that God sees you. Because when God looks at you, he sees his image that he's put in you reflected back to him. And he has, you and I are all image bearers, we all look different, it doesn't matter if we live here or live somewhere else or we... Uh, or family in, in a biological sense or not, we all bear God's image. And there's beauty in all of us. One of the things I found years ago is this. Beauty can be recognized by just about anyone. I am that just about anyone, as a matter of fact. I, I was the person who, was, uh, who went to school here at Taylorville High School, and I was the art teacher's nightmare. I didn't understand any of it. I didn't. And, and like for me, if... Like, if there was any elective having to do with that, I elected out of it because I just didn't see the value in it. I, I, my, my knowledge of artistry in that regard, um, it ended with finger painting. It really did. It was just, that was just kind of my story. But, but here's the thing. Once you see true beauty, your eyes are beholden to the beauty. And then maybe you're not somebody who would consider yourself artistic or have those kinds of gifts. But once you recognize beauty, you know it. When you see it, and I had one of these instances in a Mediterranean Persian Gulf cruise in the Navy in 1996 and 97, I went to, uh, went to Naples, Italy, got on a train and went to Rome, and I saw this. This is within the, 
the or excuse me, not Sistine Chapel. This is within St. Peter's Basilica. So I'll show you just, you can't see it from there, but you go online and look at pictures. Just amazing, amazing, beautiful art. And, and even for me, as somebody who was not really taken back by art or understanding or appreciating it, once you get into a space like this with true artisans, you start to understand, whoa, that is beauty. Maybe I don't understand how they did all the breaststrokes and how they did all, all the other uh, intricate parts and details and how they did that hanging upside down because that's the ceiling. All of these things, it's just amazing to me that when you see true beauty, you recognize it. And I believe this is also just a glimpse of what God sees when he sees us. There's a, a passage of scripture that it's at the back end of the passage. We're going to look at it more in depth. In Ephesians 2.10, this is what God, God's word says. This is what God says to you if you're in Christ. Or this is what he says to you if you're not in Christ and you're wondering why you don't know who you are and you're struggling, maybe trying to put on the multiple identities that this world offers. This is what God said through Paul to the people in Ephesus and now to us generations later. He says, for we are God's workmanship. Another translation, maybe the one that you have in your hand, it says God's masterpiece. But we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So for we are God's workmanship, that, that word Workmanship is only used one other time in, in all of the Bible. And we're going to look at that passage in just a moment. But that word workmanship is the word poema. If somebody say that, say poema. poema. It's a Greek word. It's the same word that we get the derivative of poem or, or like you write a poem, poema. You see the connection. But it's this idea of, of a work from God that we are God's masterpiece, that we are his workmanship. That not just on the outside of which is what we see and because of sin in the world that when we look in the mirror, we see all our, 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 our cracks and pits and failures and flaws. Instead, what God sees is the true beauty that he's put in us as he's working through us. For we are God's workmanship, God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's an important piece. But we're God's workmanship. And the passage of Scripture that I made reference to in Romans is in Romans 1.20. And this is what that passage says. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. From what has been made is that word work or workmanship. So that men are without excuse. So a deeper theological cut into this particular passage is when we look at God's creation, we see the creator in a deeper way and in a more meaningful way. So that when we see creation and we see the true beauty that is in creation, we see it so that we cannot say that we don't know that there is a creator and that he's God. So it's kind of a gotcha. When we look at creation and just absorb the beauty that is creation... What this passage is also saying is, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, the very nature and essence of God, have been clearly seen, 
being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. So no one on planet Earth can say, well, I didn't know there was a God because any time that we've sat back and we've been in awe of a sunset, there was something connecting us with, with God, the divine. So a couple of different examples to inspire us and to, to maybe spur some uh, of the, uh, just the, the beauty that we see in the world is I want to just share with you a sunrise or excuse me, a sunset over the Florida Keys. It's just amazing. If you've ever seen it, you've seen the, the sunset specifically over that area where it's just nothing but water and no landmass. It's just picturesque. There's one of my favorite spots in North Georgia is this picture. It's called Preacher's Rock. I didn't name it, by the way. It's called Preacher's Rock. I, I looked up the history, have no idea why it's called this. But that's just an amazing view of just looking out at the, at the North Georgia mountains. I've been there many times, and every single time I've been captivated. I've been there early in the morning, and I've been there late at night, and I've been there in the middle of the afternoon, and every single time there's awe. Or maybe you've seen the ocean and just the, the wildlife that's in the ocean. That, of course, being a humpback whale and just playing in the ocean because that's what they do. They just jump and put on a show. Well, why do they put on a show? Because God made them that way. Or this may be something that you think is, is less creative and maybe less of a masterpiece, but something that I'm beholden to, even where we live, and this is a picture from, from Iowa, in case you're curious, but even that is a picture of beauty. Because what I see in that picture is, of course, there's the, there's just the architecture and the construction of building the barns and the home and, and the family that lives there and maybe a business or businesses that are actually birthed out of that area and the farm. And of course, in the front of the picture, you see just the rows of corn that are there and they're nice and orderly all the way down. And I, I think of, of just how God allowed that human beings to have the natural resources to put the metal together for the disc to break up the ground. And then also the technology to, and electronics to, to be able to sow the seed and to fertilize and to, to do whatever else it takes. I'm not a farmer. To make that happen. All the while, when I look at this, I see God's beautiful creation because I see order and I see structure exactly the way that God entailed it to be. I want you to know if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you... You in and of yourself may not feel like you're exactly where you ought to be. But you, according to the scripture, need to stop seeing things through the, through the lens of, of your sinful past, but instead of your saved future. This screwdriver looks like just a regular old screwdriver. And one day, I'm not going to be here on this earth anymore, and this screwdriver is probably just going to sit it in a drawer, I may go to a box, and I may just go into the landfill, or may, who knows what's going to happen with this screwdriver. It's not useful for a whole lot of things. I should know. I made it. I made this in high school in industrial arts too, I believe. It was made out of walnut. It started with just a normal piece of wood, and, and then uh, eventually drilled a hole in here, and then drove this piece of metal, and hardened the piece of metal, and then hammered it down, and, and put a, a nice edge on it, because it's a screwdriver, just like the one I used to see in my dad's toolbox, which is why I made this. And then I, I eventually took that block of wood and not only drilled uh, the, the hole in the end for the metal to go into, I eventually put this on a metal, and then I spun it on a metal, and then I put the, the tooling on there to make it the design that I wanted it. This means nothing to anyone else, but it means something to me. 
because I made it. And because I made it virtually out of the materials that were there. And, and I'm, I'm amazed that we do small things like this and it means something to us. And so much more, I want you to know that when God sees you, he sees his workmanship. And the workmanship and the masterpiece that God has made in you and he's making in you is not contingent on how other people see you or even how you see you. It's how God sees you. Let's allow scripture to see the lens by which God sees us this morning. If you have your Bible, please go into Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1. Ephesians 2, verse 1 says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, and the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature acts or objects excuse me, of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved, and God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you've been saved, through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast." For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let's begin this morning with what the Apostle Paul is talking about here in the beginning of the chapter. He says, as for you, you were, so there's past tense, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. What he's pointing to in a time in the past and what he's going to be not just paralleling, but he's beginning with this, this language that once we were in Adam, and I'm going to explain to you in just a moment what that means, at, once, at one time we were in Adam, and now if, you're, if you are a follower of Jesus, now you're in Christ. So we all start in Adam, and it's another way of saying in sin, but not everyone is in Christ. Not everyone is saved from their sins. I, I wish that I could just have some sort of universalist way of getting to heaven, but that is just not true. That is just not true. Not everyone gets to heaven. Some people, by their own measure and their own merit, they choose hell. And there's nothing I can do and there's nothing anyone else can do to get you into heaven. That scripture tells us about it. We all start in Adam. Now, what's interesting is how he begins this passage. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, notice what he says in verse 3, also lived among them at, the, at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. He says, all of us, all of us begin the exact same way. One of the things I think that we, we see in this world is we think that we're so different than everybody else because maybe the way that we look or the pigment of our skin or beliefs that we have or our political alignments. What's amazing is this, 
If you were to actually go through, and you can verify this online, if you were to go through and analyze all of our strands of DNA, we would see that all of our DNA has 46 chromosomes, 23 pairs, and 92 strands of DNA in each human cell. Each diploid human cell has 92 strands of DNA. What does this mean? What does this, this means is that we are 99.6 similar just by looking at our DNA code. Everyone, every human being. If we're to study and get into the analytics of, of each one of our DNA code, we are so similar to everyone else, both physically and spiritually. Spiritually, because we begin in Adam. To say uh, in Adam, it's, it's just another way of saying in sin. God created, in Genesis 1 and 2, God created uh, each day of creation, he created things, and, and he said they were good, they were good, they were good, they were good. And then when he got to human beings, he said we were very good. That we were his marked, he was his set-apart creation. We were created to live together in this place called Eden. And, and there's going to be a day, if you, to go to the end of your Bible, and you go into Revelation 21 and 22, you would be able to unpack and see that there's going to be a day where he makes, a, there's going to be a new heaven and new earth. And I praise God that I'll be with him. And there's going to be a, a renewal of Eden in a sense. But if you were to go back into Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, that day was nothing like our day. There was no shame. There was no guilt. There was no sin. There was no, there was no harm. There was no racism. There was no ageism. There was no political ideologies. There was no rivalries. There was no nationalistic view that my country is better than this country. There was no military might. There was no overpowering someone else. There was no harboring resentment. There was no bitterness. There was no unforgiveness. There was no need to be because there was no sin. But then in Genesis 3, just shortly into the Bible, sin is introduced because God said to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, he says, you can you can go in and you have free reign. You can do anything. You just need to stay away from this tree. Just, just don't get around this tree. Stay away from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Just stay away from here. They had to make a choice to stay away from that tree. Eve did not uh, wisely stay away. Instead, she went toward it. But how did Adam participate in that? Well, he participated by being passive, by just standing and watching Eve I've just put this in my mind, that he's just watching Eve go over to the tree and do whatever, and he passively sat by, but this has been the core sin of every man since. And this has also been the core sin of every woman since. An overpowering sense of women and uh, just uh, men being passively unaware or not participating in doing the things they're supposed to. And this is, this is how we've been weaponized by the evil one of which the Apostle Paul will talk about here at the beginning of this chapter. So with Genesis 3, there's a curse on the ground. There's also a curse to us that now we will die. We were meant to live forever with God, unhindered in our walk with Him and our walk with one another. And now the ground's been cursed. And now there's, there's sin. Because of the sin that was introduced, now death has been introduced. And now there's pouring, just mourning and there's pain and suffering in the world. There's corruption on, in a worldly sense. Every political structure of all time has had some level of corruption. There's coercion. There's, there's Satan's whispers to not only to us, but also to those who are not in Christ 
of trying to, to get us to do what he wants to do, to go off plan of God. Romans 5.13 says this. Paul wrote this also to another church, this one in Rome. He says, for, for before the law was given, sin was in the world. So before the law that was given, the law through Moses, the Mosaic law and the customary law and the Levitical law and all those things, before that, the law was given, sin was in the world. The fullness of that passage, uh, I'll unpack for us a little bit. So this also comes by way of Romans 5, starting in verse 12. It says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, death through sin... And in this way, death came to all men because all sinned. Verse 13. For before the law was given, sin was in the world. But sin is not taken into account where there's no law. Listen to this next part. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even of those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. Well, you may say, well, what does this mean, a pattern? Does this mean... The rest of our lives, now we're going to be patterned like Adam. That is true, but that's not actually what this, this passage is making reference to. Just as all of us begin in Adam, what the Apostle Paul is saying is now also those of us who would, who would give Jesus our lives and who would ask for Jesus, beg for Jesus' forgiveness for our sins, that we would, that would, we would also by one man be changed, that man being Jesus Christ. So in Adam, sin was introduced, but in Christ, we can be free. I'm going to share more about this in just a moment. Another passage from the Old Testament says this in Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. It says, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. But notice what it says, But your iniquities or your sins have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. So what Isaiah the prophet is saying 700 years before the birth of Jesus, 700 years before the cross where Jesus would die for sins, 700 approximately years before the resurrection of Jesus, 700 approximate years before the birth of the early church when the Holy Spirit descended upon people in the upper room at the day of Pentecost where they were given languages to speak and a message to go spread. So before that, what Isaiah says is, surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save. In other words, God has the ability to save. And that God hears. But notice what it says in verse 2. That your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your, your sins have separated you from your God. It's not that God doesn't want to save or that God can't save or that, that God can't hear. But our sin separates us from Him so that He will not hear. You see, there's, there's a lot of people who tried their own way. In the New Testament, I love how Jesus would have these interactions with a group of people. They were perpetually the bad people in the New Testament. It was the Pharisees, Sadducees, and the teachers of the law, or the scribes. And they were the perpetual bad people. And Jesus is, is having an interaction with them. And these people, they wanted to be holy or righteous on their own. They weren't accepting the message of Jesus and all the things about Jesus, him being the King of kings, Lord of lords. They wanted none of that. Instead, they wanted to try and earn their own salvation by their own way. And this is what Jesus said, would say to these people. He says, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, he says. For you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. 
Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. So Jesus says, on the outside, man, you look so put together. But he said it's like whitewashed tombs. He's making reference to how they would make tombs in that day. It was made out of limestone. So the more, the more rainwater that would go down this limestone, the more pure it would be. And, and, and then it would, be, it would almost look iridescent when the sunlight would hit these tombstones. But yet there were still tombstones and they were still grave markers of dead people. This is what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. But he's also saying some things to us in that regard as well. That we can't earn our salvation. We can't earn our salvation. We're only saved through what, what is said in this passage in verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. You can't take credit for your salvation. We give God the glory for salvation. Amen? Let's go a little deeper into this. Talking about now being in Christ, not just in Adam. When your identity is in Christ, you're saved out of a dead way of living. Out of a dead way of living. Right here in verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Did, did you know that there's no such thing as a little bit dead? It's like if you're there, you're all the way there. There is no, I don't know, he's almost dead. I don't know, get the paddles. Let's, let's give it a charge. Let's see. It's like dead is dead. And in this... What is the root cause of, our, of being dead in our sins? In this passage, he uses the word trespass and he uses the words for sin. There's different words to, that, that's used for sin. Trespass is just a false step involving either crossing of a known boundary or deviating from a known path. Sin is just missing the mark or knowing that there was a standard to be kept and we just didn't follow through with that standard. By Paul using these two words, he's connecting this idea of, of trespasses and sins to say this. There are sins that, that, we, that we commit by commission. That means we willingly do it. And there, there are sins of omission, things that we ought to do, but yet we don't. When we look at this particular verse, we tend to look at this maybe with more Western eyes. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the, of the world, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, and the spirit that is now in the work in this, uh, of those who are disobedient. Kind of create this, this persona, if you will, of a former way of life to think, well, we just kind of dabbled in sin. We Maybe foolishly, foolishly thinking that we just start out in the world that we're just good people just trying to navigate a bad world. But that's not actually what the Bible says is true. What the Bible says is true, we actually are all sinful people going into a sinful world. And every system of the world has some level of, of sin or iniquity or a bit of trespass throughout all of it. So we don't just start out as just great moral people and then become corrupt over time. We start corrupt and needing of Jesus from the beginning of our time. When our, when our identity is, is in Christ, we no longer are bound to the dead way of living. We have a way of, of living that's different, that's changed, because our identity is not rooted in, in the sins and trespasses that once held us back. Instead, they're in Jesus who fuels us into the future. 1 John 3, 4 through 6 says this, Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. 
But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him, there is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. That means intentionally sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. So if, if someone is a Christian, they should not just be knowingly and wantingly sinning, snubbing their nose at God or God's word. Because when we snub our nose at God and God's word, it actually maybe verifies unbelief in our heart. This is tricky. It's tricky for a bunch of reasons. One of the reasons why it's tricky is because there's so much going on around us that maybe we're not even aware of. Another passage of scripture that we'll study later in Ephesians says this, Ephesians 4, 17 and 19, it says, Paul says to them and to us, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, those who, who, who don't know God at all or don't have a walk with God. In the futility of their thinking, they are darkened and their understanding is separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've been given over to themselves, over to sensuality, so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You see, I love when, I love when the sciences or the social sciences or behavioral sciences actually validates what the Bible is true. I love it. I love the study of sciences. I love psychology. I love sociology. I love the, how those things mix with spirituality and with faith and theology. I love it. I just want more and more of it. One of the things I found in my study is this thing called the hedonic treadmill. And it means this, that we all have like a base level by which, a base level of happiness that we have within our own life. Now, yours isn't the same as mine, but, but what it's saying, and the studies show that through the hedonic treadmill, that we all have a base level of happiness. And what, it, what they've shown is, whether you go through a time that's great or will you go through a time that's not so great, you eventually stabilize right back to what you were before that event happened. Which is why, maybe you're kind of, you've been stunned like I've been stunned, where somebody goes and they, they have just whatever, a normal life, and then they win the lottery. And you would think that by winning the lottery, their life would be changed, that everything that they, that they would, had longed for, that they would have, because they would have money to be able to buy things and have the house and retire early and vacations and, all, and give their kids everything. And you would think that, man, they would be set. But because of the hedonic treadmill, as soon as the fleeting happiness of winning the lottery, as soon as, as, they, as they reach that high, they eventually stabilize right back to the person they were right before. And right with it is a lusting for more. You see, the Bible actually calls that word the flesh. So I love when, when the sciences actually verify what we know in the word of God. And the flesh are these desires that we have that can't be tamed within our own self. And one of the things that, that we long for is just a sense of pleasure. And thinking that if we can have pleasure, that will replace the deeper need for purpose. But God promises purpose and even sometimes pleasure. When your identity is in Christ, you're saved out, of, out from following the ways of the world. Following the ways and the systems of the world, you're shown a different way. You're shown a way that you don't have to dehumanize someone else to, to make yourself feel better because if our relationship 
is, or if we have a relationship with God and we're in Christ, then we are being fulfilled on the inside of us. So therefore, I don't have to suck the life and energy out of you and I don't have to make you feel bad and dehumanize you to make me feel good because I'm complete in Christ. So when we're in Christ, we don't have to dehumanize each other. We don't have to think that, that one race is better than the other, although there's actually only one race, and that's the human race, and that's Adam's race, by the way. We don't have to set ourselves apart from those, those old people or those young people. We don't have to do that anymore. We don't have to think one generation is better than the other generation or, or one generation is more in touch than another generation. We don't have to do that anymore. These are all ways of the world. We don't have to, to crave material things to, to make us content and happy anymore because we have the best contentness we could have, and that's joy that comes from the Lord. There's so many things that I could, I could say about this, but I'll just go a little further to say this. We're being pressed into a mold that is at war with the kingdom of God. We are pressed, being pressed into a mold for us to conform to our old fallen ways. Our old, conform to our old fallen identities. We're being squeezed into a mold to confirm with the worldly values that other people think are so important. The mold is squeezing us to conceal our power. The power that is the same power that resurrected Jesus Christ from the dead. The same mold is squeezing us to confer and make agreements with Satan. To bow down to him instead of acknowledging Jesus as king. You see, when our identity is in Christ, we don't have to live that way anymore. We're, we're given a way out. When your identity is in Christ, you're saved out from following the ruler of the kingdom of the air. This is just another way of saying Satan. Satan has, pa has power over some people. He does. Satan has power over some people. There are demonic influences in this world. And just because you don't see them doesn't mean that they don't exist. But I want you to know that, he, that Satan does have limited power. There will, be, there will be one day where he all his plans are thwarted and that he will be smashed down. Romans 16, 20 says that. But where we stand is this. We stand in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Those who are in unbelief, they can't see the glory of God. They can't see the plan of God. They don't understand the purposes of God. Instead, what, what unbelievers see in so many ways and what we, we finally can see with our eyes is those of us who are in Christ are actually being considered enemies of those who are outside of the fold of Christ. We can finally see things as they really are. Ephesians 6.12 says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly realms. Which is why, oftentimes when, when I have the privilege of baptizing somebody like I baptized Gabby today, that I, I, that I ask you to offer prayer support. 
Because when someone identifies with Christ and someone, they do it internally and personally, but then also publicly through baptism. They have clearly made their mark and they have said that their allegiance is in Jesus and we need the support of other people praying for us and lifting, lifting each other up. Especially new believers, but even those who have been in Christ for a long time. When your identity is in Christ, you're delivered from the cravings of our sinful nature. The passions of the flesh, as some theologians say. You see, what I found is the world offers everything that, that we desire. The world offers everything that we desire. If you want sex, the world gives you porn, OnlyFans, and Tinder. And you can have it in the discomfort of your own home, in a room by yourself, and it looks like no one else does. It looks like it's a harmless, victimless crime or just you just seeking pleasure. But God sees and you're violating God every time you participate in those things. You want fulfillment? The world gives you a promotion. You want pleasure? The world gives you a smorgasbord of everything you desire. You want knowledge? You get the internet. You want answers? You get Google. You want convenience? You get automation and you get artificial intelligence. The world offers everything that you desire, but your desire can't be for the things of the world. Your, your desire has to be for the things of the Lord. If we're in Christ, that should be true of us. When your identity is in Christ, you're saved out of being objects of wrath. It's kind of a heavy thing. I understand this. But being objects of wrath, you see, we are either, if you're in Adam and you're stuck in Adam and you're not in Christ, we are actually objects of wrath. We're actually, we're, we're on the wrong team. You're on the team that, whether you even know it or not, but you're on the team that is actually bringing about evil and corruption in the world. But if we're in Christ, we've, we've changed teams. And, and the team that we're on is we're on team Jesus and we're actually, we're, we're against the world for the world. The beautiful truth is this. Continuing a passage I read earlier in Romans 5, 17. For if by the trespass of one man, that being Adam, death reigned by the, that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? In Adam, in Christ. You see, I hope you've seen this thus far this morning. Our good God has a good plan. Our good God has a good plan. That he's working, he's moving. And yes, there's opposition in the world. But, we, but those of us who are in Christ, we don't stand from a place of, of defeat. We actually are living in victory. As a matter of fact, we are the only ones who can claim victory, not because of our own military might or our own political persuasion or our, our, own, our own personal power. Instead, we can claim victory because we stand with one who is victorious and because we know how the story ends. That all of this is just fading. It's just like a bad dream. But eventually, all of this will fade away and there will be a new heaven and a new earth and and Eden reimagined, and those of us who are in Christ will dwell together with God just as the way that God intended it. Standing before Him, sinless, pure, and clean. Nothing hindering our relationship with Him and nothing hindering the relationship with other believers. 
Salvation is deliverance from death, freeing us from slavery while quenching God's wrath. While quenching God's wrath. In this passage, verse 5, it says this. First, God made us alive together with Christ. Second, it says he raised us up with him in verse 6, the beginning of verse 6. And then it says, also in verse 6, continuing on, it says, he made us sit with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So he made us alive, no more dead to sins and transgressions, but now we're alive together in Christ, that he raised us up with him, so now we stand victoriously, and he made us sit with him in the heavenly places. So that means our past is forgiven, our present is forgiven, and our future is forgiven, and God has set a place for us. That's a good place for an amen. We were once dishonorable people, and now we are honorable people. What's incredible about this is that means we don't just admire Jesus from afar. We advance through this life with him near. We don't just admire Jesus from afar like hopefully one day I'll get there. One day I'll be able to understand. One day I'll have victory. One day I won't struggle with sin. One day I won't have that that sexual temptation, one day, one day, one day, we can actually have victory over those things today. So we don't just admire Jesus from afar, we advance through this life with him near. Well, how, did he, how, how does he save us? Verse four is where we begin. He saves us by his love. He saves us by his mercy, also verse four. He saves us by his grace at the beginning of verse seven. He saves us by his kindness in the middle of verse 7. And he saves us so we can do good works. Verse 10. You see, God's workmanship in us is for good works through us. God's workmanship in us for good works through us. That means that we have a part to play to bringing order to the chaos in our world. That means that when we shine the light of Jesus into the dark places, into the dark crevices, what we're doing is we're actually bringing the light of Jesus and it cuts through all of that darkness and they say Jesus, they see Jesus in you and in me. If you want to change the world, sure, you may try to change the world by casting a vote. We'll have an opportunity to do that and I think everybody should do that. But at the, end of the world, at the end of the day, that's not going to change the world. Because there's going to be a longing, there's going to be a nagging, and another four years after that, another four years after that, and another four years after that. And, and we're just going to be displacing hope and kicking cans, waiting for something else to happen until we die. Or what we can do is we can press into this truth that God revealed to us in verse 10. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And that begins today. But I love how this passage continues, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has a plan and path for you and for me. And we're simply walking in it. And the plan's good, but the creator is good. Would you stand? What I thought would be good this morning is for us to just, in this service, 
very upbeat and positive and just celebrating the fact that this is true. Of the change that happens when someone is in Christ and how all of those other things fade away and now our lives are being made new in Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to end a little bit different than what we have been in recent Sundays. We're going to end with the celebration, celebrating the fact that it is true. Some of you, maybe you just want to hear these words because you simply don't right now even believe that it's true. But maybe as we continue to sing this song, you will, you will have faith building up in you to where you can start believing that it's true. If you don't know Jesus, I would love to introduce you to him. It's amazing. A walk with Jesus is like no other. You don't have to have fleeting happiness or pleasures. You have the fullness of the Holy Spirit in you. Let's celebrate today.